But you know what? You never get tired of it. You never get, um, I, I, I just know it. You know, it's just something, it's something, it's such a vast subject when you talk about God's love because it, it, it's, I, I think in our English language, it can be so limited. Hey, am I right? I mean, there's only one word for love, and that's love. <laughs> and, uh, and, yet, if I, and yet, it's the most, I think, misunderstood, misinterpreted, distorted uh, word that can be used both in the world and in the church uh, by people. And, and so it's good to remind ourselves of, of what this really means. And um, as I was just preparing for it, I mean, the English language is really limited. If I say I love pizza and I love my wife, I can't put it all in the same, excuse the pun, box, can I? The pizza box. It's almost as corny as Chad's... Uh, Dad joke, but <laughs> but you can't give the same weight to the same word. Huh? I mean, you can't. I mean, that would be an insult to Lauren and a compliment to the pizza guy. <laughs> but that's uh, not. And the English language is so restrictive. And you know what makes it worse? Us guys. We limit the amount of adjectives we use when it comes to English. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I asked my wife. When she asked me, how was the food? I'm not going to, don't answer yet, but I want to hear other ladies here. What does your husband say? Fine. Fine. And yours? Nice. Nice. Huh? I don't lie now. I don't come in. This is the church, Chad. Edible. You see, they newly married. We'll excuse them. (laughs) But. Now, what, uh, let me ask my wife, what do I say? Nice. Now, the problem with... Uh, a cup of tea is nice. <laughs> but uh, the point I want to make is the language is so restrictive as it is. And uh, I think as men, we just make it more restrictive. We, so we should... Expand our vocabulary. Now, I wasn't a good English student. I probably got an E or somewhere around there for English. Well, that's what I meant, E for English, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, E for excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Martins. You made me feel secure now. But, um, I mean, if you start using words like, oh, it was scrumptiously delicious or tasteful, or, you know, you start to elaborate on, on that, right, on what you're eating. Now, what does that do? What does expanding the vocabulary do? Encourages, yeah, okay. It does that for the wife. And it, it, it does help. But I want to say, what does it do for us men? Let's put it in that perspective. So, adjectives, when we describe things, it helps our wife see what it is in particular that you like about her food. Now, I'm talking about complementary adjectives, okay? Let's just... Get that. So when I say, wow, it was scrumptiously delicious or whatever, it starts to give Lauren a feel of what it is specifically I like about her meal. Okay. Now, God has at the same time given us a description of his love. Okay. Now, I'm glad, you know, you can understand why God didn't give, uh, bring the word through the English English way. He brought it through the Greek and Hebrew, you know, when he talks about the word. And so there's many 
understanding, as much understanding that we can have of just of God's love. And, uh, well, first of all, of love itself. And we can look in, in the Greek. What, what, what words are given for love in the Greek that you know of? Have you heard of agape? What else? Philia, eros. Okay, what's philia? Brotherly love. Okay, and what's the other one? Eros, that's uh, erotic love. That's between two lovers. We won't go too far into that. We've got young people here. And then there's the agape love, which is a godly love. And uh, this is the love that I want to be more descriptive of this morning. This is a love I want to elaborate. I want us to use adjectives uh, so we can begin to understand what it is that brings us to an understanding of who God is and about His love, because God is love. And so when we understand this love, we actually understand God. And, um, and so this is where I want to kind of focus my message uh, this morning. And so I'm going to use three adjectives of God's love that I want to focus on this morning. And these adjectives are going to be the objective of our study this morning. And, and, it's not, and I want to ask to be, I'm not doing this so we can be... Um, theologically more intellectual, that kind of thing. I want to do it so we can understand God, so we can be more intimate with Him. So we, this is the purpose behind why we, we're doing this. It's so I can love God more and begin to understand Him more, and also that I can, we talk about evangelize, so I can go and evangelize to others about this love, and I can disciple, we can disciple one another in this love. So it's, it's, for a, it's a tool. Okay, it's not to make us clever, and, uh, and so I'm going to talk about the first, the first understanding of this adjective of God's love. And I want to, I want to say this: this is not my revelation; it's not my understanding. Scholars have been talking about this for centuries. It's, it's a study that they have done. Uh, people like Jonathan Edwards, who was in the 1700s, and it wasn't even his idea, but he studied this. And uh, a lot of the Puritans uh, of their study of the Lord and, and His love came out through this. And so I want to say up front, this is not me. And, and I, but I do feel there's some, you know, God's given these guys so much of His Spirit. That, uh, and because it's old and, 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 you know, we've forgotten about this, we kind of think, oh, that's old news. You know, I think sometimes we've got to look back at the past and see what God had given them and begin to build on those things because there's some amazing truths that these guys had studied and understood of God that I think we can go into. So the first thing I want to look at is God's benevolent love. You guys probably have never, well, most of you, unless you're a real scholar, most of you have never heard of this. But God's benevolent love is important because this is the love that God has, and it's a good will that God has towards man. Good will. God's good will towards mankind. That's not just... Believers, that's non-believers too. That's the whole world. So God has a good will for humankind, okay? Here, and and I, I think we need to understand this because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes people look at God as he's this grumpy old man with a stick and he's looking at who's out of line so he can just beat them. That's not good will. God doesn't have that in him. He, he's got a good will towards man. Okay, remember the, I don't know if you remember the, the, the Easter, uh, Easter the, the Christmas story with the angels. It says, peace on earth and good will to all mankind. God has a good will. That's why he sent his son. Okay, he, he, he has a good will. He's got good intentions for, for mankind. 
And uh, it's good that we understand that. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, I don't know if I gave you that scripture. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness and long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Hear that? It's not willing. God's will is that none, nobody, zilch, no one should perish, that all should come to repentance. Okay, so we need to settle that in our hearts, is that the Lord wants the best for all of us, for all humankind. And uh, so that speaks of the beneficence of God. Sorry, the, sorry, did I say, oh, my thing's gone off here. Technology. I'm, I'm only using technology for one reason, because my eyes are getting worse, and I'm not a yuppie. <laughs> but that speaks of the benevolent love of God. <laughs> I don't like to be called a yuppie. So, so then there's another term for God's love, and that's the bene- beneficent love of God. The beneficent love of God. I know these words sound very big, and I'm, I'm not trying to, I just want us to grasp something of this that's very important. This is not only God's attitude and His good will, but this is actually God doing good for mankind. So this is the actions of God, not just His will, but His action towards mankind, to everybody, to the world. And, uh, and we can see this in Scripture too, um, Matthew 5 verses 45, it says, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes, now listen to this, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on just and on the unjust. And so as we begin to understand this, God's got good will towards everybody. I mean, how many of you have seen bad people prosper? They get rich. Not just, I don't just see everybody who's a Christian getting rich and wealthy and prospering. No, evil people. What, what is that? That is God's beneficent love on mankind. That's amazing. And it's got nothing to do. Just God's heart towards mankind is that He loves us. And uh, He wants the best for mankind. And that scripture is saying, look, that just shows that God is beneficent. It's to our benefit. The word beneficent means benefit, to our benefit. Okay, I don't know if you ever watched that Walt Disney thing that came out, Maleficent. Well, that's that's a bad, that's a negative act towards people. God's not maleficent, he's beneficent. He's, uh, the word maleficent is where you get the word malicious. He just wants to harm, he just wants to break, he just wants to destroy. That's not God's heart. God is the benefit of mankind. He loves it. And that's why when we evangelize, that is the heart that we are to carry to those who lost. You know what? You, you're prospering, yes. But you know what? That's just the grace of God that's here for now. That's not eternity. And so we've got to make people aware of that. Then lastly is the complacent love of God. Now, don't confuse that word with when we use the term complacent, we think, oh, that's someone who's just sitting, he's just relaxed, he just doesn't care about everybody else, he's just thinking about himself, he's very comfortable. This is not that word for, for mankind. This is God's complacent love for mankind. That, that word is for those who are in Christ Jesus, that God is satisfied with them. Now, that's a different love. That's not the same as the other two that you saw, you know, the beneficent and the benevolent love. This is a complacent love of God. And this is important that we understand because it's a love that we can only have when we're in Christ Jesus. And this morning, as, we've been, as I've been hearing the words, and I'm trying to prepare, as I'm sharing, I'm trying to hear what the Spirit is saying, but, but I really feel this is the love that God wants to make known 
this morning. And, uh, and so I first want to talk about the benevolent love of God, because I think it's important that we understand this. Um, you know, I know when we preach, we often start with the context, and we'll say to people, you know what, come on, God loves you, you're worth it. Uh, you know, he, he wants you to be part of what he's doing. So, so we kind of throw this, um, this kind of, you know, your worth of who you are, come because, because you're worth it. I don't know if you've heard people kind of preach the gospel like that. It makes it more man-centered. You know, Jesus died for you because you're worth it. That's not true. That's not true. That is false. Why is that false? And I want to explain this because the beneficent, uh, sorry, the benevolent love of God is that that word comes from God's good will, His charitable good will towards mankind. If you start from the premise of saying to someone, Jesus died for you because you're worth it, you're actually saying to that, that God's benevolence, His benevolent love was not there for you because they had some role that you played in you coming to Him. And it's not like that. You see, you can't bring anything. You can't bring anything to the table in God's benevolence. Okay, do you understand this? It's good that we, we grasp something of this. Why is this important, Benny? Because why, why should I not start from that place of saying to someone they, they're worth it? Well, it's actually a sales pitch of a self-centered gospel. I mean, think of it. How many ads do you see that, come on, you need to buy this product? It will fulfill you, but you deserve it. How, how many of you have seen that? I, I remember the 80s ad. Remember that L'Oreal? Because you're worth it. And you see this woman with her hair, you know, you're worth it. And everyone who wants to buy that product because they're worth it. They know they're worth it. Well, actually, you're not worth it before you come to Christ. Your worth only comes in coming to him that he purchases you with his blood. Then, it's your, then the worth comes on, on you. And we need to grasp that because it takes us away from that understanding of, you know, you know why it's important? I want to explain this. I think, I think the reason we, we sell that kind of gospel, it's a sales pitch, but the Bible does say in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. So when you say to someone that, you know, you're worth it, so therefore come, come to the Lord, you're actually starting from a wrong foundation. You're starting from the place where they think it's from them, but it's actually from the benevolence of God. And we need to understand this in, in the way we preach the gospel. And... Um, the, the gospel then, if you do that, becomes more egocentric, and it can't be. You see, this is, the, this is the amazing thing is God accepts us, and our value, you see, when we do this, the value is placed not on the, the sinner when we do it correctly. When we preach the gospel that it's not because you were worthy, but because Christ made you worthy, we place the value from the sinner to the price paid for the sinner. Do you, do you get that? What was the price paid for the sinner? Well, it was God's son. He sent his son. That's where the value is. That is the price that was paid. That's what the Bible talks about. That is the value. And so we, we take the emphasis off you and we place it on who God is and what he did for you. Do you understand? Do you understand the importance of this? Because if you don't, you, 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 you've made the gospel self-centered. You've made it man-centered. And in fact, you actually make God's love selfish. Do you know that? Think of it. If God purchased you because you were worth it, then God gains something out of this transaction. 
but he didn't. He died for you, and that made his life totally selfless, and it had nothing to do with what you can add to that table. Nothing. Nothing you can add. Not your loveliness. <laughs> you, your loveliness came because of God. Do you understand that? Do you grasp that? Because of that, that he purchased you. The worth of who you are is, and, and, and I feel this is what that love that we're talking about this morning, you've been, you had a name, and God's changed that name, and then your loveliness came in that. So, so how does this, what is this value that I'm talking about, this value that God purchased? Well, John 15 speaks about this value, this, this great, this love, this great love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. And I love that because the value is placed, this great love is placed because of he was willing to lay down his life for you. That's where the value is. So you might say, well, Benny, are you saying I'm not valuable? Of course you are. But it doesn't start from your value. It starts from his value towards you. And you see, that's why even as an eldership, we treat you, you don't belong to me. You don't belong to the elders. You belong to Jesus. When you come, when you be born again, he purchases you with his own blood. In fact, let me read that quickly. And, and this is talking from an eldership perspective, an X. Did I give you that one, Stefani? X 20. It says, therefore... Verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, it's talking to the elders now. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Carry on. I'll give you just that one. Okay, sorry. Yeah, actually that's right. Sorry. Do you see, do you see that? So what he's saying is to the shepherds, listen, this is my sheep. I want you to look after them because... You, they're not yours. And so as eldership, it's almost like we've got to take responsibility because that's what steward is. It's stewardship is taking responsibility, isn't it? And it's like you, you want to take this responsibility. And in a sense, in taking responsibility, you're taking ownership of something. And there's times that we, we, we take ownership and then God says, but I don't want you to own the ship. You know, it's still my people. It's still my church. And so we, it's, it's, it's quite of a, I don't know about you, but it, it's I'm sure the elders feel the same. It's kind of one of these things you, you, you're handling and you're taking ownership and you're taking responsibility. But at the same time, you know this is not God. This is not your people. This is God's people. And he purchased them. And so there's a, there's a delicacy in how we treat you and how we handle you because you've been purchased. You are worth so much to the Lord. Do you understand that? Your worth is a, and that's why as eldership, we, you know, we, we've got to hear the Lord for you. But at the same time, you've got to understand our responsibility as a church. Because you know that scripture where Paul says to Timothy, he says, I, uh, he says, I charge you in the name of God. And he says to Timothy what his duties are. He says, I want you to rebuke. I want you to exhort. I want you to encourage. I want you to do everything in your ministry to, to, to do what I've called you to in the life of the church. Now, that's quite intimidating for an elder to say, I charge you in the name of God. Because what he's saying is, I'm subpoenaing you. That's a subpoena. It's a charge that God's got on us. 
I don't know about you, if I've got a subpoena and I'm waiting for a court date, I'm going to feel pretty intimidated until that court date comes. Huh? So I want you as a church to look at these men here. See the charge being put on them. It's a responsibility. And I don't think if you look at them, I can honestly say they're not people that lord themselves over you. They do see you as God's precious possession. But as a church, I I want you to grasp this because together we begin to understand the responsibility that we have towards one another. The Bible says submit one to another. It's not just submit to the elders. It's actually submit to one another, everybody. Even the elders got to submit. So that thing is a constant because we can do this because of understanding of God's love. And um, so where am I? Sorry, I lost my place a bit. But And so God's love is not a selfish love. <clears throat> Romans 5, verses 8, it says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's based on God's charitable will. While you were yet sinners. Why is God emphasizing that? Because at that moment, you were just a sinner. You weren't anything else. But he says, but now I'm demonstrating why my love is so great. It's because while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you you get that? Do you understand that? That's God's benevolent love. And it's not based, like I say, on your loveliness. And, uh, and, and it's important that we understand this because when that becomes your foundation, because there's going to be moments in your life that you're going to feel unworthy. Even as a Christian, you're going to feel worthless. You're going to feel, I really blew it. I really, but you know, and the enemy's going to throw lies that you're not worthy. He's going to throw that to you, church. But if it's, if it's man-centered gospel that brought you through, you're going to be right in saying, well, I'm not worthy because you started from a premise of, I'm worthy, and therefore Christ died for me. But if you start at that premise, then you're going to get times like this, and you're going to think, yeah, I'm unworthy. But if you start from the understanding of God's benevolent love, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you. It doesn't matter what he says about you, because you can always go back and say, yes, I know I'm unworthy, but Christ made me worthy. Do you see why your value needs to be there and not on yourself? There's going to be times that we're all going to go through that. And I find that this, just understanding this benevolent love and this beneficent love of God is not something God wants us to stay in just there. You know, as good as it is, God's benevolence, His beneficent love is great, but that in itself doesn't save us. Okay, and I want to explain this to you because God wants to elevate us to another level of His love. But I'm not saying God's beneficent love is not important because there's times I'm always reminded back. To me, the beneficent love of God is looking back about what Christ has done for me. I don't know about you, but when I'm in worship sometimes, when we sing that song, what was that song? That Jesus paid it all. It's beautiful. It's an understanding that he paid it all. You know, it's like I'm putting myself in the context of where I was and looking at what kind of life I lived. I was selfish. I was, I lived for me. In fact, I wanted nothing to do with God. In fact, the Bible says that I'm, my mind is carnal. It's, it's enmity. It's fighting God. It's constantly against Him. And yet, it's like God, in all His love, in all His beneficent love, He tears that veil and He says, I called you. 
And it's got nothing to do with your attitude. It's like just, oh, why did you save me? And in these moments of worship, it's like you're looking back at the past and you see, God, your beneficent love has brought me to this place. What kind of love is this? And we've got to look back, church, in our times of worship to Him. We've got to look at the beneficent love of God because it was to Him and because He was worthy, He made us worthy. <clears throat> Sorry. And so, I'm, you know why I'm always, uh, I love these moments that we can have with the Lord in worship. Because what it does, I want to read Romans 2.4. It says this. Do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I want to keep that scripture there, uh, Stefani. It's important. I want, I want to emphasize this scripture this morning. Because, you know, God's benevolence is there. His goodwill, His intentions for us is all the best. God's beneficent love is there. He's there to benefit us. But you know what? Those, that aspect of God's love has got to lead you. Because it talks about there, the riches of His goodness, His forbearance, and His long-suffering. Those are God's gracious love that He's put on us. But then He's saying that these things need to lead us somewhere. Not knowing that your goodness of God leads you to repentance. You see, guys, when we bring, and this is going to be important, when we evangelize to people, we can't leave them in just the beneficence and the, and the benevolent love of God. We've got to move them to places. Are you repentant? Are you coming to that place because of what He's done? I'm willing to move towards who He is, to move towards Him. It should be a drawing card to me because of what He's done. Because, and it says, don't, be dis, don't, be dis, don't you despise it. You know, can I say, if you're living the same life that you did 20 years ago, you're actually despising the love of God. You're despising the long-suffering, the forbearance. God wants to move. God's got so much more for us. It's not just what we saved from, but it's what we saved into that He's called us to. And, and as a church, we need to start to look at what has God got for us. We need to move out of one aspect. Well, not out of it, but from one aspect of God's love to another, which is God's complacent love. We know in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, it moves God's benevolence to his beneficence. His son. He gave his son, and that was to our benefit. That whoever believes, and see, this is our part, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, God doesn't just want us to understand and experience his benevolent and beneficent love. He wants us to understand Him. And I want to ask this question because I think this is quite important. So Jesus is saying we've got to come to Him that we might have eternal life. What is eternal life? We, we, we quote John 3.16. What is eternal life? Is it that you live forever? Can I, can I say this? Did you know people that are going to go to hell are going to live forever? So is it got to do the quantity of your life? Because they're going to be given new bodies the same way the righteous are going to be given new bodies. Unperishable. Oh, that's heavy, hectic stuff. It says where worm will not destroy. They're going to be in fire for eternity. 
You know, I'm talking about those who have never come to Jesus. So what is eternal life? Well, I don't want to define it. I'd rather let the Bible define it just to help us. So John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life. This is what Jesus said. Those who come to me, oh, you've already got it on there. And this is eternal life, that, you might, that he might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see what eternal life is? is. It's to know him, to know him. And that's not just know, oh, know about God. No, that's knowing him intimately. That's a total relationship that you have. And this is what I want to say, church. This is why it's important. Because the Bible does say in the last days, many will say to me, did I not do this in your name? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not heal the sick? Did I not raise the dead? Did I not preach in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. <laughs> See how deception can come in. We can think we know him. But eternal life is not what we do for God. Eternal life comes in what we do in him and through him. In that relationship, it's from that place of relationship that we have, that we can do what we do. Do you, do you grab that? Do you, do you grasp that? Because I think so many times we want to do more, and we think about that as eternal life. No. God's calling us to an intimate relationship with Him. And so your identity is in that, not in what you do. I, I just want to read a scripture that just came to me while we were in the worship. And I don't have it on my laptop, but I do have it on my phone. And it's from 1 Corinthians 10. And I, I, I want to say this is important because, you know, we, we can believe in the baptism. We can have all these things. We can come to the front and declare Jesus our King. We, we can make that momentary uh, decision in our lives. But we don't follow through in constant living a lifestyle of obedience to Him. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about Israel now, when they were in the wilderness. I didn't give this one to you, Stefani, don't worry. No, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll read it here. It's talking to Israel. Now, Israel was going to the promised land. They were going to the inheritance that God had for them. And it said this, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all your fathers, now he's talking about the people that went through the wilderness from Egypt, all your fathers were unaware and all the fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. Now, you see, there was a baptism that took place there in the cloud and the sea. And ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock and that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's pretty harsh. What it's saying is, look, you can come to church, you can get food, you can, you can be baptized, all these things, but, but are you saved? You know, most of them, God was not well pleased. Why? Why was God not well pleased? Because there was no obedience. There was no follow through. There was no constantly building into to what God had for them. There's only a few, it says mo, mo, most of them. Actually, it's more of an understatement because it was only Joshua and Caleb who actually entered in the promised land. And that obviously would have been their families too. But this is it. This is what eternal life is, that we know God. And Jesus prayed this for his disciples. He said, I do not pray for these alone. Not only the disciples that were with him, but for us. He says, but also that those who will believe in me through their word 
It says, and they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that we may believe that you sent me. You see what Jesus is saying? Listen, Father, I'm praying that they will be so intimate with me, that they would know me, that they would, because if they know me, they know the Father. That's what Jesus is praying for us. And you know, we, our identity, as John was sharing, our identity is in that is in that scripture. I know him. My identity is in that, that I know him. I know whose I am, as Chad shared. Not who you are. It's whose you are that counts. That's where your identity, that's where your name counts. Come on. We've all had names uh, that we find identity in. We all find identity in what we can do, our bank accounts, our jobs. And even not only your pride, but also your, what's the word? Your value? Yeah, your value. I mean, people might have called you fat. You can place identity in that. That could be your name. But you know what? When it's in Christ, it doesn't matter what people, that's where where the Bible says it's the love of God that casts out all fear. You know what? I don't care what people think because I know whose I am. I know the value because of the value that he purchased me. You understand that? That's where my identity is. That's where my name is. And God's calling us, church, to be in that place of just intimate. And so from that place of intimacy, from that place of just knowing him, we also are intimate with one another. That's where John, where Jesus prays for us. He says this, by this all, oh, sorry, not that one, sorry, John 17, 20. I do not pray for these alone. I still at these diapers, but also to all who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Now notice he's praying, Jesus is praying, let, let, let us be one with him. Jesus, let, let's be one with him through our intimacy, with, but also one with one another. You see the importance of this? That we, part of our relationship with him is also our relationship with you. I can quickly see how your relationship is with the Lord when your relationship with others start deteriorating or breaking. Or you can see people's responses. You can quickly see how good their relationship is with the Lord. And so we call to disciple one another. We call to build each other up in the faith. And, and, and it's this love that God's called us to. It's this love that Jesus said by all, in John 13, 35, where it says, by this all will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. This is not a love like the world loves, church. Because the world, I mean, you get clubs, hey, we've got something in common, we've got all these things. This is, this is I mean, think of it. We're all different here. There's Afrikaans, there's English, there's black, there's white, there's all different sorts. You know, there's some of you guys I wouldn't hang around with. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> and they wouldn't hang around with me. I know. Because we're not a club. We're not a club. If this was the common denominator of we all got... No, what makes us one is that we all love Jesus, that we all, we've been baptized in one baptism, we call to one hope, we saved one father, you know, one son who's brought us through, and because of that, we're one family, and I love, because I love the Lord, I love you, it's just by default that I love you, and so I might have nothing to do, nothing in common with Paul, but you know what, I love that man. I'll love him, and, and if he needs help, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to help him get where he needs to be. 
And if he wants me to disciple him in certain, I'm going to commit to that. Do you, you, you get the point of this? And we do that with one another. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, mutual, it's a mutual thing. It's, it's, you can only disciple as far, far as you're willing to be discipled. And this is the call that Jesus had. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. And this is what Jesus was saying. Those who are in me will be obedient. They're going to obey me. But part of the obedience isn't just you and God listening, having Scripture. or No, it's us. We help each other with the obedience of living in the fullness that God has for us. You know that. You help me live in obedience. I can have a Scripture, and I might have an aspect of my understanding, but when I bring it to other people and they begin to uh, clarify it to me and they begin to understand, I, it opens up, okay, that's what this means. And I can be living a life that's totally contrary to Scripture, but then I bring it in line because it's submitted to other people. Do you, do you get it? Because we can all have, you know, the Bible says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes during the times of the judges. And so God had to appoint judges to, to rule over Israel. Well, it's the same thing in the life of the church. God appoints elders. He appoints deacons. He, 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 he instituted church so we can live in obedience to him. Do you, get, do you get what I'm saying? Obedience is important. I know it's one of those words that are shunned today. But church, if we're going to live in the fullness that God has for us, we've got to live in obedience to him. You're not in obedience to me. You're in obedience to the Lord. It's because of him. Do you, do you get it? Cool. Sure. So, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? What are we called to do? We, we've been sharing recently the what's. What are we called to do? And the why. Why are we called to do what we do? Why, why do we have home groups? Why do we come to church? Why do we connect with one another on a daily basis? Because we love Him. Because we love Him. And the mandate that He's given us is to love each other. And to take that love. And, and it's a love that the world does not know. And I love the scripture that I read in the beginning. I want to read that again. Because I think this is just going to tie up our understanding of, of this. Can you go to Romans 5? I forgot that one. I think this is so important. But God demonstrates His love towards us. That while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This love is poured out in our hearts. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Can I say, the Holy Spirit does it. Not, we can't conjure this thing. This can't, this, it's a agape love. It's a supernatural love. It's the world doesn't understand this kind of love. But if we're going to demonstrate God's love, church, we've got to move from just the benevolence of God's love, the beneficent love, we've got to move to that complacent love of God, where God's totally satisfied with us. He's satisfied. He, he just enjoys our company because everything we do is just for obedience. God, what, what are you saying today? What must I do? What do you call me to? I want to know you more. It's just constantly that seeking Him. Are we there? I've got to admit, uh, as I was preparing this, thought, God, how far short do I fall of constantly seeking you? Because I'm always looking at my own interests, my own ways. And it's not always about you. But if we're going to be good evangelists, then we need to move church to that love. 
If we're going to be good disciples one to another, we've got to move to that love. If we're going to be good disciples, this is the love that we've got to express. Are we there? Okay, I'm going to, just in line with this, is there anything you want to share? Can I? Yeah. How can we love the lost if we can't love each other? So it's a supernatural love. It's not a love that we, we can conjure up. Like I said, it's not, because it's not man-made. But you can have it. And you know how you can have it? It's being filled with the Spirit and allowing God to come and make Himself manifest. We can't do any of this without the Spirit. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, wait for me in Jerusalem because I'm going to send a helper. And you often look at the Spirit as just the one who empowers them. He, he did do that. But part of that empowering was that they knew the love of God that they could, that was shed abroad in their hearts. And from that, they just conveyed that love. It's supernatural church. It's not going to come from us. I'm sorry. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit that does that work. And so I want to maybe just, let me just, in closing, I, I want to throw the opportunity. Maybe there's some of you sitting here and you can witness with what I'm saying because you've been, and you understand certain concept of God's love. You understand God's benevolent love. You understand God's beneficent love. He, 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 you know, it's like, it's like knowing it. His grace is there and it's around me, but actually it's not in me. There's a difference. It kind, it kind of, it's there. You understand it. You see it. But God wants to move us to a place where we can actually know him. Do you, do you know him intimately like that? I want to ask, in this opportunity, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm not going to not create the opportunity for us to come to him in that way, in that intimacy. So maybe you've never come to Jesus. Maybe you've never come, you've just known about him. God's calling you today. Today is the day, the Bible says, don't harden your heart because he's calling you. He's calling you to a love where he finds total satisfaction in you. But it's going to come from you to respond. The Bible says that they repented. They came to him through repentance. It's a decision you've got to make. Is there anybody here that, that just wants to make that commitment, make that call? Now's the time. Can I ask, just put up your hand if that's you. 